Hello, you are listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy. In today's episode, we have Lisa Oliveira. Lisa is a licensed marriage and family therapist in private practice. She's also a writer, and you've most definitely seen her writing or her posts on social media probably being recirculated or shared in your network. Her posts on her account at Lisa Oliveira Therapy are so full of wisdom and creativity and warmth and knowledge, and it just is such a beautiful resource. And I connected to her through social media, and we got in touch. And as therapists in the social media realm, um, you know, we want to support each other. And I've just been so grateful to get to know her through that platform. And I'm really excited to get to share her and her warmth and wisdom with all of you here on this podcast. In today's episode, we talk about her approach, which is human first, therapist second. We also talk about the power of stories and she shares a little bit of her own. And then at the very end, she answers a few questions that were posed from other therapists in the digital world and social media that were curious how she has navigated being a licensed professional in the digital arena and in this larger platform. I'm so excited to share her with all of you. So let's get to the conversation. You're listening to Holding Space Podcast with Dr. Cassidy Freitas, licensed marriage and family therapist. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. Now, let's jump in. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time out of, I'm sure, a very busy schedule to record this episode with me, to have this conversation with me. I am so excited to get this chance to virtually sit down with you and chat. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you, and it's an honor to be here. Oh, well, Lisa, can you first share with the listeners? Um, I I bet a lot of people have seen your work, um, but may not know like your background or sort of how you came to do this work. So maybe you can share a little bit of your story, um, and especially today being the, a topic that I really want us to touch on, which is the power of stories. And so maybe we can start with your story of what brought you to doing this work. Yeah. So coincidentally, it's really my story, I think, that brought me to doing this work and my own story and my own experiences that led me to a therapist's couch when I was a teenager. And that experience was just really transformative and powerful and so meaningful for me. And it it started my own exploration of what it means for me to be human and how my own story shows up in my life and how I could empower myself to shift the parts of my story that weren't feeling supportive or that weren't serving me anymore. Um, And therapy was such a powerful space for me to do that. And so through my own journey and my own experiences in therapy, I became really interested in, you know, what it would mean to be that for someone else. And what it would look like to hold that space for other people. And I had this vision from a pretty young age that I wanted to eventually become a therapist in some capacity. Um, And through lots of ebbs and flows, of course, and, and through a lot of my own experiences, I ended up going to school for psychology and, and eventually went to grad school um, and got my 
master's in counseling psychology with an emphasis in marriage and family therapy. And um, through that time and and after that time, I worked in school-based mental health and community-based mental health. Um, I did a lot of work with foster youth and adoptees, and I did work with families. Um, and after a lot of different paths and experiences, I ended up in private practice, which is where I am now. Um, and I have a private practice in Oakland, California. Um, and I do a lot of work around stories and a lot of work around dissecting, you know, what it means to be human and how how we reckon with our stories and the meaning that we make of them um, mm-hmm. and creating more supportive stories for ourselves that that allow us to show up more fully in the world. So I think long story, very short, um, my own story and experiences definitely led me to this path and inspired so much of what I do and have really made it possible for me to do this incredibly meaningful and fulfilling work. I love that. And, and you're so right that, you know, our brains are meaning making machines. And one of the ways in which we make meaning is we look back for like the narrative, right? Like when we are walking into a new experience or we have a new experience and we try to make sense of it, um, just the way that our brain sort of wired is that that information comes in and it tries to it tries to fit with whatever the story has been. And sometimes that can be beautiful in making meaning and understanding moving forward, but sometimes it can also be so limiting when the story that we've been told or that we've then adopted and tell ourselves is is limiting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it sounds like your own experiences um, in sort of rumbling with your story uh, really is what brought you to the heal and brought you to therapy and then showed you sort of a sort sort of showed you a passion that eventually led to your career of holding space for others. That's speaking of stories, that's a beautiful story. <laughs> that's a beautiful story. Um, yeah, so maybe you can share because one of the things that I love about your work and the way that you show up in the world as a licensed professional. I think that you use the tagline, and correct me if I'm wrong, but human first, therapist second. Mm-hmm. And what I love about that is, um, yeah, kind of, there's been, at least for me, I received the message that as therapists, we really need to stay private and quiet and, you know, even the messaging of like, you know, leaving yourself outside the door, which I think is totally impossible (laughs) to leave ourselves outside the door when we're showing up with our clients. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things that I love about the work you're doing is sort of unpacking, deconstructing some of that messaging. Um, and, and I think in doing that sort of bridges um, this, this opening that people may now reach out for support because they see you as human when maybe before they wouldn't have because they would have been intimidated. Um, but what I, what I love about it is that you do show up as human and you show up with your voice and your story. And, and so maybe you could share a little bit of 
of how you yourself as a human, before we talk about how you do this work with your clients, how you yourself as a human have sort of rumbled with your story um, and, and what that, what the impact of all of that has been and the experience. Yeah. So I definitely held my story very different, differently when I was younger. And I have experienced how painful it was to hold my story in such a way that didn't really make room for my worthiness or for my ability to grow and thrive and feel joy and feel belonging. All these things that I think are so critical for us as humans, no matter who we are. And for a long time, I also felt really ashamed of the way that I held my story and ashamed of what came with that and and how I was carrying it and how alone I felt in it. And I discovered that through through sharing it and through being open and honest and transparent about certain parts of my life that for so long I felt like I couldn't be open and honest about, that shame really dissipated. Mm-hmm. And I I was able to see that it's through sharing and being open and letting myself as a professional and as a person be fully human and embrace all of those parts of me without feeling like it was wrong or like I I wasn't allowed to, that I was able to really move through a lot of my stories in a different way. And, you know, that sharing started, of course, very intimately. And it started with, you know, reckoning with my story within myself first and within my own way of holding it. And then it moved into, you know, sharing with people I was close to and exploring my story with a therapist and with family members that I trusted and with, you know, friends and loved ones and practicing exploring my story that way. And eventually, as I shared more, it became a lot easier for me to see that I didn't have to hide it and that, in fact, sharing it was healing and Often it was in the sharing of my story and in the exploring of it with people in my life that I found new ways of thinking about it and new ways of holding it and more supportive ways of moving through my life, not without these experiences, but because of them often. Um, And I think that kind of eventually led me to feeling really comfortable with my story and, and really able to share it on a wider scale in a way that of course feels comfortable and and good for me and and in a way that feels still boundaried for myself but also in a way that kind of lets people in a little bit too um and it's been really healing in a different way i think to share it with a wider audience and to be more comfortable exploring what it means to do that and and how how it impacts the way that I'm carrying it as well and to see how it impacts other people and hopefully supports other people in seeing that their stories aren't something that they need to hide either. One of the, one thing I'm hearing and what you're sharing is that when you, when you've made the choice to begin to, to share your story, which which is a really powerful step and choice to to take, especially in the context of what we know around shame. Um, 
you know, I was I was reading some of Brene Brown's foundational research, um, like one of her grounded theory analysis, and she found that you know one of the you know the three pillars of shame is feeling trapped, powerless, and isolated, mm-hmm. and you know all obviously these things are really interconnected with each other. But you making the choice to step out of isolation and sharing your story was a really pivotal one, it sounds like. But it also what I'm hearing and what you're describing is that there was also a lot of intention around who you chose to share your story with in the beginning, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, like who who are the people who have earned the right to be in that space with you? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm curious for you both for yourself personally, but also in what in the work that you do with your clients, if somebody is holding on to something, right, or they're in that sort of space of shame and they are listening to this right now and they're hearing that like one of the you know antidotes to shame or ways to move through shame is is connection and sharing with the right people Mm -hmm. and somebody might be wondering well how do I know like who who are the people that have earned the right to be in this space like how do I how do I identify who those people might be I'm curious for you, what does that process look like um, for yourself and in the work that you do with your clients of identifying like who are like, how do you identify the right supports? Yeah. So for myself and for my clients, and I talk about this a lot because I think there is kind of a myth that sharing and storytelling and vulnerability means sharing with the whole world. And I think that's so often not the case. And it's so important to identify those core people that you feel really safe with. And I think some of the most important ways to do that are to look at the people in your life and ask yourself, you know, who holds space for me, even when I'm hurting, even when I'm in pain, even when I make mistakes, even in my imperfection, who can witness that and, and still make me feel safe? Mm. Who can can hear all the parts of myself and and still make me feel loved and heard and supported. Who can really listen to my experiences and and let it be okay, you know? And I think it's so powerful to identify the people who can do that for you and the people who can see you in your messiness and in your fear and in your challenge and still remind you that you are loved and worthy and that you aren't alone. Um, and I think that's so much more important than, than finding the people who can, you know, support you in your glory and your accomplishments and achievements and joy. Like so many people I think have been taught how to do that, how to hold space for the positive and the, the joy. But I think it's a whole different story to, to really find the people who can sit with you in the things that aren't, you know, positive or, or easy or comfortable. Um, yeah. So I think asking those questions of yourself is, is so important. And if you don't have those people in your life, if you don't have those people who, who can hold that space for you in a way that, that feels really connected and genuine and, and real, I think it's so important to know that that those people are out there when we put ourselves mm. in the way of them and those relationships can be cultivated and that space can be found even if even if you might not have it right this moment um because I know that 
there are a lot of people who don't feel like they have someone in their life that can hold that space for them. And it might feel hopeless or it might feel like they don't deserve that or like it's not something that's for them. And, and I really think there is that space for all of us. And it's just about giving ourselves ourselves permission to, to find it and to cultivate it and to trust that we are worthy of that. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if, if you've had this experience in your work, but I, I, I've had the experience of sometimes people then come to this place of recognizing that there is a relationship or somebody in their life, whether it's a parent or a partner or a friend who has been in their life since they were children, somebody in their life where it's like they really want that person to be the one, you know, mm-hmm. like especially with parents or caregivers, like there's I think just a, you know, an evolutionary pull for us to want to turn to that person for for emotional support, right? For it to, to have them be the one to hold that space for us. Mm-hmm. And it can be a really painful process to come to a space of recognition that this person may not be able to hold me in the way that it is that I actually deserve and am worthy of and need. Mm -hmm. And there can be a lot of grief, right. And like a process of, of recognizing that loss Mm -hmm. Um, and being able to understand that maybe this person can show up in my life in certain ways, but not in some of these other more vulnerable ways. Um, or in these other ways that I actually deserve and need. Um, and but in 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 recognizing that and being able to see um, and to being able to sometimes let go of this person needing needing this person to be the one, it can actually sometimes open up um, somebody's eyes to these other people that are almost like waiting in the wings, you know, mm-hmm. to to hold them in the way that they need, to be able to be there in the way that they actually deserve. Um, but I don't know if you've had that experience, but it can, it can be really painful to really come and face what, what some people in our lives can do and offer us and what they actually can't. And that's, that, that's not a reflection of our worthiness or that person's worthiness, but it's just, it's, it's about, it's, it's potentially about that person's own pain, right. Or Mm -hmm. not being equipped in, in certain ways to hold, to hold that person in the way that they deserve to be held. Yeah, I think that recognition is so important. And I think it's one that a lot of people don't let themselves explore. And people can get so stuck in that disappointment and in that grief and in that seeing the people who can't do what they need them to do, that they can miss out on on witnessing the people who can and who want to. And I think it's so critical to of course, allow ourselves to experience the grief of some people not being able to show up for us in the way that we might wish they could and to to honor that that there will be people in our lives who who we might not be able to share our story with and and that can be painful and that can definitely take some grieving and moving through and witnessing and sitting with, which can be very challenging. And I think when we allow ourselves to do that, when we allow ourselves to to honor that experience and at the same time move past it in order to find the people who are able to hold that space, it can be so healing. And it can remind us that 
just because our stories cannot be held and witnessed by everyone doesn't mean that they don't deserve to be held and witnessed by someone. And it doesn't mean that there isn't someone out there who would probably be so grateful and moved and happy and connected to be able to hold that space for us. Um, And I think moving through that grief of, of those who can't is such an important process in, in being able to find the people who can. Yeah. And sometimes depending on what those, what that relationship was, you know, if it was a caregiver, a parent, you know, somebody really critical in our life that was really given the job to take care of us, but wasn't able to in some ways, there can also be, you know, almost, I don't know if you found this, but before we are ready to then see who's in the wings, like who's been sort of waiting there to come in and, and, and show us the love that we are worthy of and support that we're worthy of. Sometimes there can be this, this step in the healing process of one acknowledging the loss and and processing the grief of this person not being able to show up for me. And then there's also the step of processing maybe possible trauma that trauma and, um, and like imprints, like story imprints or like discourses, messages that we've sort of adopted about ourselves and our own worthiness mm-hmm. um, before we are then ready to say, okay, I'm, I'm ready to be loved by this, by somebody else. I'm ready to be supported by somebody um, or to let somebody into that, that like, you know, inner circle or into that bubble of vulnerability for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, there can be that sort of step of having to go back and like process, reprocess some of the pain um, or come to see our own worthiness. And sometimes it looks like doing even some like inner child work, you know, and like we re- are reparenting almost like for ourselves to like be able to hold ourselves before we're ready to be held by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Has that been your experience um, in your work or, or in your own life? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's one of the most important things we can do is to look at the meaning that we've made of the experiences that we've had, including having to reckon with those who cannot show up for us or for our story in the way that we needed them to. And often we do create stories from that and we do create meaning from that that can can be really hard to let go of and even hard to recognize sometimes. And so I think letting ourselves slow down and ask ourselves, you know, what meaning have I made of this person not being able to, to witness or show up for my story? Or what has that taught me about myself that, that might not be truth, but that I've been carrying as truth and, and how do I need to unravel that? And I found that to be such an important part of my own healing process because as an adoptee, I couldn't share all of my feelings with my adoptive parents mm-hmm. because they weren't able to hold space for it in the way that I needed them to. And I really needed to reckon with that and reckon with the fact that they might never be able to to witness my truth in the way that I want them to. And that didn't mean that it wasn't worthy of being witnessed. And mm-hmm. so that was a huge part of my own process too is letting go of the meaning that I made of, of them not being able to hold space for my feelings in the way that I needed them to and letting go of the story that I created from that experience 
And, and I witness that all the time with my clients as well. You know, I think so many of these stories that we carry, whether it's unworthiness or being not good enough or feeling like our voice doesn't matter or feeling like we have to stay quiet, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. so often comes from, from not getting what we needed from someone. And, and I think allowing ourselves to really dig into the meaning that we've created and hold space for that is such an important process of moving through it and healing and, and allowing ourselves to open up to the fact that we are worthy of those things. Um, And I think letting ourselves really feel that and dig into that experience that we've had is what allows us to move through it and eventually open up space for that experience to be held in a different way. And for us to, to know that we are worthy of support in the way that we need, even if it doesn't always come from the spaces that we might want or need it to come from. What are some questions that, you know, because I think that oftentimes in doing work around narratives and stories, I think that it's it's a really beautiful space for, for us as therapists to open up with questions, right? Because questions allow the client to explore these response, these, these stories for themselves and the impact. I'm curious, um, and, and you and I can maybe explore this with each other. I don't want to totally put you on the spot of like, what are the best questions to ask? I think we can do this work together. Um, Mm -hmm. But what are some questions that, that you think are really, are really helpful for clients to explore or for listeners to be exploring for themselves? Questions that begin to open up an exploration of the stories that we're telling ourselves, who, whose story is this, right? What informed this story? Um, what, you know, what are some questions that you think can begin to open up an exploration of, of the impact of stories? Yeah, I think, first of all, I think approaching our stories with curiosity and mm-hmm. tenderness and self-compassion is so important because we often don't learn how to do that. And it can make it really hard to approach our stories when we don't do so from a space of really supporting ourselves through that process. And so when I talk with clients and and from my own experience, um, I really think that approaching our stories from these more supportive, nourishing, compassionate spaces is so important because that creates a sense of safety in exploring what our stories mean to us and how they might be hurting us and how we might want to shift them. And so right. I think beginning to explore with curiosity, you know, like where where might this story have come from and how might how might I have learned this? And how does it make sense that I have this story? You know, why why might have I developed this story and how can I validate that based on my experiences it actually kind of makes sense that this story was created? And, you know, who, who else validated this story for me and who else, who else made me feel like this story was true. And so I think starting by just getting really curious about where did this come from and, you know, what is, 
what is the meaning that I've made of my experiences and how have those created this narrative that I'm carrying? Not from a place of judgment or criticism or, you know, contempt for other people or for yourself, but just from a space of curiosity and compassion. And I think that really allows us to, again, feel safe to go there when a lot of times we don't. Um, And so I think even just starting there can be so powerful and can bring up so much, which can feel overwhelming at times. Um, And so I also always talk about, you know, not rushing to figure out your whole story at once and not feeling like you have to get all of the answers or find all of the clarity or gain all of the understanding and meaning at once, but allowing yourself to to kind of explore in little chunks that feel sustainable and and doable and and supportive for you, which which I think looks different for everyone. Oh yeah. And I mean and the the amount of compassion that's called for in just this process, right, is mm-hmm. is, is is tremendous. And because for most for many of us it's like, it's almost like learning a new muscle, you know, like a new muscle memory because the first, like it's so automatic, right. To mm-hmm. have a, have an emotion, have a thought connected to the emotion, have an experience, connect that to other experiences and the story that we've been telling ourselves or has been told to us for so long. Mm-hmm. And it just, the process of it is so, is so quick and so right. automatic. And in many ways, in many ways, it makes sense. Like our brain's job is to protect us, and you know, it, it does it by 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 making really quick connections. Um, but sometimes it does that by really prioritizing efficiency over over what is actually true, right? Mm-hmm. Or what is actually um, connected to yes, our our yeah, our, our our real truth or our values. Or so being able to to instead of judgment criticism, contempt, comparison, like all of those things, a shame, like mm-hmm. instead of quickly going there, um, which for many of us can feel so automatic, like, yeah, to, to, to bring in tenderness or compassion, mm-hmm. to slow that process down, to be curious. I mean, that's that for many of us can feel like a really new a really new response. Um, and so there's going to, yeah, just even in the process of, of practicing that and slowing things down, oh, all the compassion in the world needs to come into that process. Right. because It's, it's going to feel very, very different and very new. And our, mm-hmm. our system in the beginning is not going to be comfortable with it because it's, right. it's, it's yeah that this whole slowing something down and and rethinking this when we've been maybe thinking one way or having one story that's sort of been the story the guiding story for so long like our system's not going to like it because mm-hmm. it's going to feel this is going to maybe sound weird it's going to feel dangerous at first yeah, um, to yeah. look at something new and a new yeah to deconstruct that story yeah yeah it's going to feel dangerous yeah I think our systems do want us to stay comfortable and our systems crave equilibrium and they crave mm-hmm. safety and they crave comfort. This? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think sometimes we can associate discomfort with something being dangerous or wrong, mm-hmm. which can yeah. make us quickly revert back to 
telling ourselves the same story over and over or not choosing to explore what is actually coming up for us. And so often, even before exploring stories or anything specific, I talk a lot about mindfulness and just practicing noticing, just practicing paying attention to, you know, how is your body feeling? What physical sensation arises when this thought comes up? What happens within your physical being when when you have this emotional experience? Like, what does that feel like? How how do you know that a certain emotion is present for you? And I think even starting as simple as just starting to pay attention to these cues and to these responses that even our physical bodies have, because so often our stories are held in our physical body in so many ways that we might not be aware of. And it can be very overwhelming to start bringing awareness to these things. And so I think even slowing it down to just beginning to notice and, and see what that's like and see what it feels like and to, to pay attention to what arises within you and to kind of name it and note it can be so powerful and can again, create that kind of container for yourself that, okay, maybe I can trust myself to explore a little bit further now. Maybe I can remind myself that it's actually safe to do this, even when my body tries to tell me otherwise. And I think that can be so supportive and powerful in helping clients or ourselves feel like they can actually explore these things. Because Mm -hmm. I think, like you said, so often our bodies and, and brains and minds can kind of get a little uncomfortable and might want to push us to to staying safe where we are because it doesn't allow us to recognize that it's actually safe to to change things. It's just not comfortable. Yeah. Um, and I think anything we can do to to really stay regulated and grounded physically as well can help us feel safe in exploring the emotions and the stories and the narratives that come up. Oh yeah. So Lisa, I, I want to shift if I can a little bit, because um, I, I posed a question on, or I put a little question box on um, Instagram stories today before mm-hmm. our recording for anybody who had some questions. And it's so, I'm not surprised um, because I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast and who um, are following on social media are other therapists. And mm-hmm. Um, so the the flood of questions coming through are actually from other therapists who mm-hmm. want to want to ask you questions. I'm very connected to what we're talking about, but there's a lot of questions in here around, you know, struggling with self doubt when as a therapist, like coming into onto social media, um, you know, when you know you have something to share and you have a voice and, and knowledge and wisdom that you want to share on social media, um, or all, you know, in the larger wellness arena. But as a therapist, how do you do that? You know, especially when self-doubt comes in or fear, because I do think that there's a lot of fear kind of embedded in our field around, you know, this idea of staying private and staying quiet. And I I really think embedded in that message is also like stay small. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, a lot of therapists are, are coming into this this question box asking how you have navigated that as a licensed professional, as a clinician. And my hope is that this is relevant, not just for licensed therapists, but for other professionals who have something to share in the larger wellness arena. 
Yeah. I mean, I definitely experienced all of that as well. And I think it's so normal to experience that when you're thinking about doing something new or breaking out of the box or sharing your voice. You know, I think in so many ways, both in our profession and in our culture, we're often kind of taught to stay small and we're taught to to be very cautious and to sometimes people please or make sure you're not, you know, ruffling any feathers or any of that, which can make it really challenging to put yourself out there. Um, I think as yeah. a therapist or just as a human in general, you know, mm-hmm. and and so I think something that I often come back to is what are my values and what matters to me and what is important to me. And when starting sharing on Instagram and when I share my writing and when I think about what I want to share, I always ask myself, why am I sharing this and why is it important to me and how does this connect to my values? And so many of my values come up in my writing and in my sharing. And a lot of them are related to some of the themes I talk about, but also related to values of accessibility, of vulnerability, of connection, of, you know, reminding people they aren't alone, of letting myself be imperfect and still be enough and still be worthy of being seen. Um, so many things that I talk to clients about that I remind myself of when I share. And I think there's room for all of our voices and there's room for all of our perspectives. And I also think that, you know, another thing I hear so often is there's already so many people talking about these things. There's already so many people doing these projects or writing about these themes. Why should I add my voice in? And I think there's there's room for all of us and you never know who really needs to hear your voice and you never know who really needs to read the message you have to share in the way that you share it. Um, and I girl, think you're, you're, just speaking my heart. <laughs> you're speaking into my soul. You're speaking my language, girl. Yes. <laughs> and I think it's just so powerful to let yourself show up, even if it's uncomfortable. And it kind of goes back to exploring our stories too. It's like, what's your story about letting yourself be seen? What story are you carrying about sharing your writing or your art or your music or whatever it might be? What story are you holding about stepping out of your private practice, stepping out of your office and exploring these themes in this work in a different way? Like what meaning are you making of that? And, and how is it serving you? And how is it serving the people that you want to serve? And that's something that I come back to all the time is, you know, what is my mission? What is my purpose? What are my values? What is my why? And when I come back to that, it's it's easy. And when I come back to that, it's actually really comfortable and it flows and it feels so good and, and nourishing. And it feels like I'm aligned with these things that are very important to me. Um and it's when I move into, you know, comparison or fear or perfectionism. Scarcity mindset. Like there isn't enough. There yeah, isn't enough. Exactly. Yeah that's, yeah. that's when it becomes tricky. So I think coming, like removing those layers and coming back to like, why do I, like, why do I have a pull to do this? 
Mm. And maybe listening to that pull more than you listen to the doubt or the fear, knowing that those things might still be there. They might still come up sometimes, but I think your truth and your message and your vision and your dreams and your voice are more important and more meaningful than self-doubt will ever be. Oh, girl. <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah, I, um, I'm, I'm building a, um, an e-course right now uh, that I'm really going to gear for therapists. I just had um, mm-hmm. my first workshop, like in-person workshop with it this past weekend. So it's just like, it's like at the forefront of my heart, my mind right now. And a, a big part of it is, is in the beginning, before we do, before we talk at all about like building a private practice and the nuts and bolts, or we talk about social media and marketing and, you know, some of these other platforms that we can show up on, like the first thing that we have to do and that I had this full, this beautiful group of therapists do is mm-hmm. talk about values. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like anybody who's this, who's upholding space podcast listeners probably may be tired of me talking about values because it's like <laughs> every, literally every conversation I have ever. Um, but it's, I'm so, I'm just like so glad that it's you that brought it up. I'm like over here shaking my head like, yeah, see, yeah. it's so important. Um, because it, it just is like and I love how you just described it as like when you connect back in with your why and your values it just it becomes it's easier like it just gets easier because you are in alignment and you're coming back to why am I doing this work like why step into this arena like why share this why share my story why share my voice coming back to the thing that is most important to you like it's going to give that boost, that meaning, that energy. And, and if it gets hard when once you're in it, which it will, mm-hmm. like you can fall back on knowing that your why is what informed why you did it to begin with, you know? And mm-hmm. and there are times when like priorities and values shift. Right. Um, and but so you can always come back to that, right? Like if these things are not commandments, they're they're flexible um direction, you know, flexible compasses, but mm-hmm. compasses, I don't know if that's <laughs> but <laughs> making that a word. Um <laughs> But no, I love that. And I think, you know, for me, some of those values are very similar, right? Is is community, vulnerability, um, creativity, um, but also also accountability. Like that's why for me, like the messaging around like being a licensed provider means you need to stay private and quiet. I'm like, no, I actually think that because I'm a licensed provider, like there's accountability that comes with that. It's like anything that I posting like I'm it's going through like a a filter of like where did this information come from like does this like you know because I have a license I'm being held to Mm -hmm. and for me that the value of accountability is a big reason why I think that as licensed clinicians at least for myself and, and maybe and for others as well like why we can and should step into the larger wellness dialogue um and I love that you also touch on some of the, like what I call like the thieves of joy, right? The things that can like suck the joy out of our work, which mm-hmm. yes, scarcity mindset, comparison, um, you know, boundary issues, which can lead to burnout for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, perfectionism, which is basically just fear, <laughs> but like mm-hmm. thinking that if I just everything perfect, then I'll be okay and accepted and loved mm-hmm. and safe. Um, oh, I mean, I, 
experience all of those all the time. Like it's like those thieves of joy are just always there. And so I'm always just like in the room with them, like, okay, scarcity mindset. Okay. Mm -hmm. Perfectionism. Okay. Comparison. And you just showed up. Mm -hmm. Uh, It makes sense that you did. You often do. And I'm about to do something important. And let me be curious, coming back to what you described earlier, let me be curious about why you showed up here. Because oftentimes it's so interesting, but oftentimes the things that bring us pain are actually allies in the discovery of what's most important to us because they would they usually only show up when we're doing something that's important or that's or or it's rubbing up against a value of ours. You know? right. And, right. Yeah. I think flipping those things and getting curious about them and yeah, looking for what what message they're trying to give us and why they're showing up does often point us in the direction that maybe we're actually doing something that matters and something that's really important and something that, that we're called to do that again, isn't always comfortable. And I think when, when you can know that those things are going to show up and embrace them and, and know that those things don't show up because you're doing something wrong, but perhaps because you're letting yourself really show up in a way that's meaningful for you, you can kind of reckon with them and they can come along for the ride. Like they don't have to, they don't have to control how you show up and they can still be there, but, but they don't, they don't necessarily take over. And, and I think that's so important to know that it's okay if, if those parts of you come out when, when you decide to show up in a new way. And it kind of makes sense that they do, because again, it's like often trying to protect ourselves, trying to keep ourselves safe, which sometimes looks like staying small, but when you can kind of push past that and, and work with it rather than than push against it it can really like you said be an ally in letting yourself share your voice in whatever way feels good for you and in whatever way you're called to do which i think is so needed and i also totally agree with the accountability piece that you mentioned because i feel like because we have access to this knowledge and information and this experience i think it's so crucial that we find ways to share it with a bigger audience and that we find ways to provide this resource and support and insight and tools and practices to people who might not necessarily be able to get into a therapist's office or who might not feel like they can access that information. You know, I think that's one of the really beautiful things about growing a platform and about stepping out of an office and doing this work in other ways is it makes therapeutic work more accessible and more attainable and more relatable, I think, to more people, which has really expanded the conversation about emotional health and about personal growth to so many more people that I don't think would explore these themes as deeply or as personally if if this information wasn't starting to be shared in bigger ways by people who have access to these resources and tools and insights that therapists, I think, innately have. So I think in that sense, it's also incredibly powerful and and it adds to such a wealth of public knowledge that that makes this information available to more people. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's taking information out of the towers of research that like, and, and research has actually shown that it takes 
years for information to trickle down from you know the research the the journals the research labs then the trickle down to actual people like the real stakeholders of this information mm-hmm. um, oh yes i 100% agree so mm-hmm. one thing that i know i come up against sometimes in working with other therapists um in consulting with them like i know other therapists come up with this come up against this as well there's something you want to share but then like you, you need like a visual or a picture to kind of go along with it. And like, you know, and then you just don't end up sharing it because you feel sort of blocked in that mm-hmm. arena. And I've found that in, on your on your account and in your work, you've really done a beautiful job of creating visuals that are so accessible and relatable and like tangibly helpful. How... Like, like actually, like, how are you creating these things? And like, are you using um, a, a tool, a, a, an app? Are you using Canva? Like, I'm, I'm actually, I really am all about like giving therapists actual tools. Like, here's actually think something that you can use that will help get your voice out into the world in the way in a way that is is accessible and tangible and relatable and helpful. Yeah, yeah. So I do use Canva. And I taught myself how to use it. I'm not like a designer. I don't have a design background. I've just kind of played around with it until I've figured out different ways of using it that work for the way that I want to share my work. And it's such an easy, user-friendly tool to use. And I recommend it to everyone because it's free. You can use it on your laptop. You don't even have to stay tied to your phone to use it. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's what I use. And I typically set aside um, like certain times during the week where I create content and where I sort of batch create posts. So, so that I don't get too sucked into, you know, spending too much time on Instagram or too much time creating content when there are other things that I'm working on. But um that's kind of what allows me to share so frequently is that I, I really create time in my schedule to, to sit down and create these posts and, and write. Um, and writing is also just something that I love doing anyway. It's something that I am passionate yeah. about even outside of my work. And so in that sense, it makes it a little bit easier to do because it's something that I really yeah. enjoy and it, and it's a big passion of mine. Um, but I think yeah, using Canva and scheduling time to do these posts and to create content has been so helpful. Um, And sometimes, I mean, I always have a running note in my phone if ideas pop into my head or... Oh my gosh, um, I have the same thing. Yeah, I'm always adding to it, you know, based on conversations that I have or things that are coming up for a lot of people in sessions that I'm realizing are like common themes um, or experiences that I have. <laughs> and that makes it really easy to kind of have information kind of ready to go when I feel like creating something. Um, and it's also just been really amazing to have this creative outlet too for this work and to exercise my own creativity in finding new ways of sharing this information. So it's been really nourishing for me as well to to create content and to find new ways of of putting these themes into more digestible forms. Um, yeah. So it's been really 
amazing overall. So what I want to kind of highlight some of the pieces that I'm that I'm pulling from what you're saying. And so it sounds like you you batch your work, which means like you set aside time to create a bunch of different like images and content and writing to go with those images. Um, and that way you're not like every day having to be like, oh my gosh, I need to post something today. Like right. I need to pull something together. Like I love that because it sounds like it, it's very boundaried, but it's yeah. also very intentional. Um, it also sounds like you have a running, and I have the same thing on my <laughs> notes on my phone, um, mm-hmm. just running sort of like inspiration or ideas that you can kind of go back to if you're feeling sort of um, like a, a, a void of inspiration um, when you have set aside the time to create this work. Um, I love that. And it sounds like you also like, uh, like, enjoy this like Mm -hmm. it's something like that there's a there's a passion and a value of yours around writing and creativity that it's connected to this so you connect back to those things it sounds like if you ever are feeling kind of uninspired or burnt out um yeah I love it and you mentioned writing and you are a writer absolutely for sure um and you're also writing a book right Mm -hmm. I am yeah amazing and so where can people um, we're coming to the end of our time here. Where can people find you, continue to follow your work, um, and you know, stay up to date on the things that you're writing, the book that you're writing, and all the resources that you're offering the community? Yeah. So Instagram is typically where I share the most. And my Instagram name is Lisa Oliveira Therapy. Um, and from there, there's a link to my website and to other resources. And I always try to share resources and tools and articles and things like that on that platform. So that's definitely the best place to find me and to, yeah, get more support. Wonderful. Well, Lisa, this has been amazing. It feels like I feel speaking of alignment and values, I just feel so connected to the work that you're doing. And I'm just so grateful for you taking the time to do this with me today. And um, I just find so much value in the work that you're doing. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. You are such a powerful force with your voice and your work and your creativity and your ability to really synthesize this important information to so many people. So I'm so grateful to be connected. Me too. Thank you, Lisa, so much. Thank you. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the information that was shared in this episode. If you did, you might want to subscribe and be the first to hear about future episodes as soon as they air. Thank you so much for sharing this space with me. Have a great day.